Yeah, I'm gonna have to get my tea afterward this time. Yeah. <clears throat> but I should have got it because I got some eh, in there. What is and that? Shea butter. Which oh, is, you and that shea butter. Every every black girl knows <laughs> that this is the magic. You and that shea butter. I'm telling you, <laughs> the magic. It's the black girl thing. Although Wait, I'm ready. I have I have cocoa butter trauma. My mom, oh my and when I was a kid, my mom and cocoa butter, I went everywhere. It smelled like chocolate. Did she smother <laughs> you with it? Black ones will do that. Listen, until until I was 14, I smelled like a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good cold open. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's start with that. Like I, it was, I was, I was shiny and people wouldn't lick me all the time. Shiny. <laughs> Why you smell like food right now? You smell why you always smell like chocolate? Black moms will do that to you. My mama you. and her cocoa butter. That's why. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's that's good. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kingy. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. Hey, soldiers. Welcome back to our virtual living room. And today we're going to be talking about black art and culture and how these two aspects have shaped the broader American culture. I think this is one of those topics that we could talk about for days because there are so many facets, layers, and expressions of art and culture in general. Now, as some of you may know, I'm Kenyan, and in preparation for this episode, I spent some time reflecting on how Kenyan art and culture was pressed down and portrayed to me while I was growing up. And during my reflection, I realized that, that although a lot of Kenyan art and culture was passed down to me, there was always a centering of Eurocentric art and culture. And my experience is not unique. Throughout history, we see copious instances where Black art and culture has been denigrated, erased, stolen, co-opted, appropriated, misappropriated, <laughs> mishandled, and reduced. At the same time, however, we do see that white culture and art is typically centered, it's highlighted, and it is espoused as superior. So in today's episode, I'm hoping that we can center Black art and culture and film and just the beauty of Black expression, and that we can identify ways that it has shaped the broader American culture and Black racial identity, along with why it is important to reflect on Black art and culture. So I'm really excited for this episode. So I think perhaps a good starting place today would be to just give a very abbreviated version um, of Black, sorry, like a very abbreviated history of Black art and culture in America and how it has shaped our mainstream culture. So Andres, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. Um, we're going to go back to the 1800s. And I'll try to be as quick as possible. <laughs> what we're going to do right here is go back. Go back. <laughs> way back. Back into time. Right. So we'll, we'll and, and, and to be honest, you know, I, I had to do my own research on this. Some of this stuff is, was new to me, um, really. So I really appreciated 
the opportunity to, I, I always like, I, I love learning. So this was just a great opportunity to learn a few things uh, about the African-American experience through the arts mm-hmm. in, um, here in America. So a, a few names, some of you may know, just Robert, Robert S. Duncanson, the most accomplished African-American painter in the United States from 1850 to 1860. He's the first internationally known African-American artist. And today his work hangs at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Mm. There's Edward Mitchell Bannister. Um, He became uh, uh, successful. Actually, (laughs) he was fueled by by an article that he read in the New York Herald in 1867 that stated, the Negro seems to have an appreciation for art while being manifestly unable to produce it. So that kind of wow. made him upset and just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, in 1876, Bannister was the first African-American artist to receive a national award. Nice. There's Henry Osawa Tanner, the first African-American painter to gain international reclaim. Nice. Um, and those, just, those are just three of obviously many well-known, quote-unquote, because they're not so well-known. <laughs> no. Uh, so we jump a little bit into music, uh, which is more of my, but I, I lean more to, and we start out with Jubilee Quartets, which are acapella yes. vocal groups that consist yes. of four to six members. They originated in the mid 1800s. Uh, they had, there were live radio broadcasting of Jubilee Quartet singing, uh, live radio broadcasting of Jubilee Quartet singing became popular in the 1920s. Some radio stations dedicated a few hours a day to quote-unquote black programming during which this genre was often performed. Mm-hmm. And these, sorry, Andres. Yeah. And were these mostly probably white radio stations that were doing this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, just, yeah. they just allowed certain certain time. Mm-hmm. You know. And the same thing with, with quote-unquote race music, which we came to be known rock and roll and that kind of stuff. Yes. There's also ragtime. Um, this is very interesting. So ragtime is primarily instrumental and known for its elaborate upbeat, right? So that's, of course, you know this, Abdul, <laughs> that that's putting the beat in between where it would naturally go, right? right? So it emerges out of the folk blues genre and from the ways enslaved people played fiddles and banjos. So black American musicians transferred rhythmic elements of music played on the banjo to the piano, which created ragtime. Yes. I know that. Yes. Of yes, course. Yes. Yes. You know, the and, blues. And ragtime yeah. is, where, is where all the black music gets its sense of swing from. Because that swing mm-hmm. comes, from, comes from accenting on the up note, but playing on a downbeat. So, yeah. This is where music theory, and that's when you lose me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what so is an up note? It down, what what it is? Up note. All right. So um, then, of course, we got to talk about the blues. Uh, originated in the South, African Americans at the end of the nineteenth century, heavily influenced by the by the work uh, songs and Phil Holler's spirituals, etc. Uh, of course, they would go on to influence future genres such as jazz, rock and roll, and R and B. And of course, I would be stoned to death if I didn't mention the Harlem Renaissance. You, that's uh, right. You better not forget the Renaissance. <laughs> not uh, not you better saying, not. We go to Arkansas. You bet you not. You bet not. <laughs> you bet not. 
which was an intellectual and cultural revival of African-American music, dance, art, fashion, literature, theater, politics, all centered in Harlem, 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 Manhattan, New York City from 1920s to the 1930s. Uh, some of the more uh, well-known names of the Renaissance, Hubert Harrison, which founded the Liberty League and The Voice, the first organization and the first newspaper, respectively, of the quote-unquote new Negro movement. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of course, Langston Hughes, poet, social activist, novelist, playwright, columnist from Missouri. I did not know he was from Missouri. Yes, sir. Um, of course, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. Uh, also, have you? I mean, you guys know about suit suits, right? Come on now. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I didn't know that they came from this era. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fashionable and it was and it was fashionable to frequent Harlem nightlife, right? So entrepreneurs mm -hmm. realized that some white people wanted to experience black culture without having to socialize with African-Americans. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So they created clubs to cater to them. And thus I. E. The, cotton club. the cotton club. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my goodness. I mean, this is not new. This is not yeah. new, man. <laughs> yeah. So here's a that name, the cotton oh, club, which by the way, yeah, there's a classic film about this. Yeah. There's a classic film about the cotton club. It's got, um, a young Lawrence Fishburne, Richard yeah. Gere. Um, it's got, it's got, uh, uh, the late Gregory Hines. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a fantastic, it's shot in black and white. I think I, I recall it is, it, but it's a fantastic movie. It came out in the early, like mid eighties. Yeah, once Club. again, this is when we need video of <laughs> Justine's right. expressions. I mean, I'm just, what? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that either. I had no idea. I knew mm -hmm. the con club, but I didn't know that the purpose of it was to, mm -hmm. Oh, yes. white people, we, we dig your black music. We just don't want to be around you guys. So we're going to yep. create a club. That so you know, place entertain us, entertain yes. us. <laughs> all the black, all the black, and, and it was run by the mob. All the black performers yeah. came mm. through the back door, couldn't come in the front. All the white performers or all, all the white patrons came in, came in the front door, mm. and it was said, and this is maybe apocryphal, but I don't know how how, how true this is. But um, Lena Horn, like the the, the late jazz singer, and actress, and dancer, Lena Horn mm -hmm. could pass for white. And so, as I understood it, Lena Horn could perform at the Cotton Club and go sit in the crowd because folks thought she was white. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, All right now. So, oh, good. One more thing. Fun fact. Do you know where the term slumming comes from? No. Have you heard the term slumming? Yeah. Have you heard the term, Justine? I know what a slum is, but I'm assuming that's very different from slumming. Yeah. So, like, so, like, you know, so. If somebody sees you in a, in a certain area of town, whatever. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm just slumming. Mm. The term comes from um, in cities like Chicago and New Orleans or whatever, during like mm -hmm. the early days of like ragtime and jazz and that kind of stuff, where, mm. where um, white people, wealthy or not, white people would want to come, come and absorb our music and our mm. culture. They would come down to the quote slum Slum. to listen wow. to our to our music and our arts and our culture and so and so <laughs> it was it was a thing in in white social circles where mm -hmm. if you ask someone like a white person what they did on saturday on saturday night they were proud I to say they were slumming, slumming. so they think were about, slumming 
like those of us nowadays who call ourselves a foodie, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a foodie, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm traveling to Austin, Texas. Oh my God. You got to go see, or go to this restaurant, this restaurant, this restaurant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Same concept. Wow. Got it. Wow. What? <laughs> my gosh. Oh. All right. Let me finish a little bit here on the Renaissance with, uh, Mr. Marcus Garvey, uh, publisher, <laughs> uh, of the uh, influential newspaper Negro World. I did not know he had a shipping company, the Black Star Line, which established yes. trade between Africans in America, the Caribbean, South and Central America, Canada, and Africa. Yes. All right. Uh, so we're going to jump to the 40s and 50s. This is when Billboard magazine started making a separate list of hit records for African American music. Uh, which started in October 1942 with the uh, Harlem Hit Parade, uh, which was uh, changed in 1945 to, to the better term, race records. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then in 1949, it was changed to rhythm and blues records. Mm. So do you guys know Sister Rosetta Tharp? Tharp? Tharp. Yeah. T-H-R- T-H-A-R-P-E. No, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tell you us should... about her. Yeah, break okay. it down. So she was before Chuck Berry, who many people consider the father of rock and roll. It was her. Wow. So she was before Chuck. So can we just say She's hashtag I mean, girl magic? <laughs> I mean, the original, the well, not original, but I mean, the yeah, I just recently heard about her. I'm like, how do I not? How did I not? <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. Okay. So before I jump into mine, I have one observation to point out because you, you pointed out that it was called race music, right? So what, what mm-hmm. we were doing was called race, race music. music. Yeah, race yep. music, R A C E, and then it became, it became, uh, rhythm and blues. Right now, think about when we talk about, and this will this will harken back, yet again, listeners, to what we talked about critical race theory in that episode. There was the music charts, and then there were the race music charts. Right. As if white music was quote normal and everything else was a deviation from that norm. Mm-hmm. So hear how this stuff is hidden right in plain sight. So I got, I'm going to do a, a, a bit of a survey of black arts and culture from the 1950s to the 1990s. So this is my, mm. this is my jam right here. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, is <laughs> this is this is y'all hit me right where oh, I. Oh, you get living. the '80s and the '90s. Yes, sir. <laughs> and the and the '70s. Yeah. This is so, gonna be a long episode, listeners. Yeah. Uh, this this is this is yeah. This is. I'm gonna try too hard. I'm gonna try hard to not wax too nostalgic. But okay, so here's the thing, though. Four days later. <laughs> <laughs> y'all ain't even right, man. Okay, Stevie Wonder, like. <laughs> Four days into this, and we're still on Stevie. Justine's like, I'm just gonna sip my tea. <laughs> <I'm just> gonna... <laughs> okay, so 
Mm. Honestly, surprise, surprise. I I had a really hard time thinking about this part of the episode. <laughs> Mainly <laughs> because to me, like I get I get honestly so like for real, I get overwhelmed when I think about our our art, our culture, our aesthetic, our swag, all of that. Because that's my happy place. You know, mm. like not not in a like in a supremacy sense, but in a sense that like my I have a deep love and a deep appreciation for my kinsmen in the flesh. And so, you know, this, this period, the 1950s to 1990s, you know, is let's call it the second wave of black arts and culture. Like that first wave really was um, like our, our story through our arts, our music, our culture has always been to some extent a story of pain. And it's been a story of having joy through the pain. But let's say the first wave was the the folk music and the stuff that came directly from the slave experience and then you know andres the, the stuff that you covered up to like the 1950s or like the second wave with the harlem renaissance and marcus garvey and all that kind of stuff and so this really was a seamless transition into that so like when i think about that i think about like our history our story our triumph i think about um like so the totality of our arts and culture. I think about like our, our, our aesthetic, like our mix and like our, our mix of cultures into one pure essence. Right. So, because even though we are all quote black people or African-American, we come from the diaspora, whether you're somebody like Justine who came from Kenya or whether you're like somebody like me, whose ancestors may have come from Kenya. You know, and so and so you you uh, you you boil all that stuff down from all those different tribes who were on those slave ships and on those plantations and produced this stuff that we have in our culture. So we like you know our food, our ties to like land and place, our music, very obviously, um, our our creativity. So you know like jazz, blues, hip hop. Um, um, folk, you know, um, uh, just, just in the musical sense. And then, so when I think about it, I think about it in these kind of, let's call them like bullet point or categorical terms. The one is our creativity. Like I just said, with the jazz and soul and blues and the hip hop and all that stuff. Two is our, our intellectualism. So thinking way back to like African theologians. So listeners, the part two of our decolonizing your theology uh, from season one to get a really a, a good rundown of the African theologians that we've mentioned, like uh, Augustine, Tertullian, Athanasius, and others, right? But when I think about our intellectualism, I think about people like Marcus Garvey, who talked about entrepreneurship and Black self-determination and uplift mm -hmm. and, you know, W.E.B. and Booker T. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's Booker T. Washington, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> that's um, from like Booker T to W.E.B. to Carter G. Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. Mm, mm. You know, um, to so I'm so mine is all mixed in this whole from 1950 to 1990. This whole is just one big mashup. So you got people like Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Cornell West, mm, Henry Louis mm. Gates, Nicole Hannah Jones, Tanahasi Coates, Dang. and even, even, and we can't forget thinkers like, um, Thomas Sowell and Larry Elder, 
Yes. You know, who, who are, who are, who are on the conservative end of the diaspora, but they contribute to black thought and intellectualism. Mm-hmm. Um, James Baldwin. Like James. Oh, he's coming. Trust me. Trust me, James. Jimmy B is coming. It can't, it can't be the Christian Soldier podcast without, without, oh. without Baldwin. <laughs> Baldwin is one of my is one of my five top top, top favorite heroes. So people like Brian Stevenson, you mm-hmm. know, the mm-hmm. attorney and activist and author. Um, and you know, so so I think about our cultural critics. Insert people like James Baldwin. Insert people like Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Insert people like Dick Gregory, who is an activist and comedian and social commentator and author. Insert people like Gordon Park, who was a musician and a photographer and um, and, and and an activist in the in the in the forties through the nineteen seventies. And so um, his his eye with the camera really captured the essence of urban black life. And so. Um, some of these might be names that some of your listeners have never heard of, but I promise you, they are folks who have added to who we are in our art and our aesthetic and our sensibility. Um, you've got our, our swords, our swords, people like Medgar Evers, people like uh, Malcolm X, people like Huey Newton and Bobby Seale and Fred Hampton and, 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 and our conscience, people like Martin Luther King Jr. You know, you've got, You've got our, our, our geniuses from that period of time. You've got people like, when, when I was writing my notes and I wrote our geniuses, the very first name on my list was Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who Donnie Hathaway called the black pool of genius. <laughs> so you have, you have Stevie, you have Prince, you got Michael Jackson, you got, you got, Barry Gordy, you got Chuck Berry, you got Little Richard, you got Quincy Jones, you got comedian Moms Mabley. You have all these folks who contributed to our art and our culture. Sarah Vaughn. You know, so you have all of these, all these, all these people. So you've got new entrepreneurs from this from the seventh from the 60s, 70s, and 80s and beyond, like Robert Johnson from, from, from Ebony and Jet magazine. You've got um, you've got Shaq. People don't think about Shaq as an entrepreneur, but Shaq has something like four or 500 different streams of income and, and owns several different types of businesses, right? Not just the dude who people think is stupid and can't, and can't shoot a free throw. This boy is on his grind. People like Magic Johnson, people like Puffy, or y- y'all call him Diddy. I call him Puffy because I'm old school. You got, uh. people like, <laughs> you got people like Puff, you got Jay-Z. You got, you got, um, uh, you got entrepreneurs or I'm sorry, you got, uh, you, you have scientists and, 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 and thinkers and, um, astronauts like Dr. Mae Jemison. You have Dr. Ronald McNair, you have Neil deGrasse Tyson. You have all those, all of those people contribute to who we are in our arts and our culture and the way that as individuals and collective and how African-Americans see the world in our, in our artistic expression. and then. Really, most importantly, you have, there are millions and millions of unsung heroes and anonymous lives who existed and persevered and contributed to art and culture in a way that we feel every day, even though we don't know who they are. So, you know, you've got, you got our, our writers, you know, I mentioned Derek Bell, you got Richard Wright. 
you've got, you know, more cultural critics, Nell Irvin Painter, Michelle Alexander, Cornell West, scholars like Henry Louis Gates, Michael Eric Dyson, um, uh, Stokely Carmichael, Angela mm -hmm. Davis. You know, you have poets like Sonia Sanchez, Gil Scott Heron, the last poets, Elaine Brown, you got the Watts prophets. So you have all these people. I'm telling you, I could talk three hours about that, <laughs> about that period. Cause mm -hmm. all of that influence was stuff that was flooding into my house when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to tapes of like Quincy Jones and Stevie Wonder and Sonia Sanchez. And then you hear, or not hear, but you hear, but like see like Marcus Garvey pamphlets and you have to eat this healthy way and all this other kind of stuff, all that stuff adds to who we are. So, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a survey and it didn't take too, 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 too long, but yes. Wow. That was, that was <laughs> I'm gonna stop right that was now. really good. That was really good. I'm curious, Abdul, I want to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful response for me. Uh oh. How do you think, so all the people that you just mentioned, how do you think they've impacted the broader American culture? Because when I think about those people, yes, I think it was very helpful for, for, um, you know, like for the black identity and kind of telling our stories mm -hmm. or, okay, rather reclaiming our stories might be a better term, but how did they impact? So, um, okay. So when you think about, um, let's say the hood. Right. So people say the hood and, and you have two different conceptions. One, like you hear like the rundown, beat down, crime written, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But then but then you hear or, or like the word picture that comes to mind is this place of cultural nurturing. Mm -hmm. When you think about photographers like Gordon Park, what we think about when we think about the beautiful parts of the hood were informed by his sensibility of photographing the hood. Mm -hmm. mm. So when you think about today, slam poetry is all the rage, right? Right. When you think about slam poetry, you cannot think about slam poetry outside of people like Sonia Sanchez and Gil Scott Heron. And to some extent, even Angela Davis, even though she wasn't a poet in that way, when you hear her speak, she speaks like a poet. Mm. Like her, her, her voice has almost a melodic thing with it. Mm. So, so when I think about, so yeah, so when I think about all of that and how those folks contributed, um, mm. that's, that's, that's kind of how I, how I think about that, you know? And, and when we think about the last, the last part is I'll say is very obviously um, who we are as a culture was very, very much shaped, I think, in let's say since the end of the civil war from 1865 to today there are probably a period all total of about 40 years that really shaped our culture that's it think about maybe 10 years of the harlem renaissance mm -hmm. think about 1955 to 1975 mm -hmm. and think about 1985 to 1995 and you have a really good snapshot of our entire culture. Yeah. Also, think about this. Um, and two names that came to mind. Um, John Michael Besquat. Mm -hmm. 
I hope I'm saying, I hope I'm saying his Basquiat. Basquiat. Yes. How did I forget you about know, Basquiat? Uh, See? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's There's Jean no Banksy Michel. without him. John Michel. Thank you. There's no Banksy without, without him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no Seinfeld without uh, Pryor. I tried, I tried. Oh my gosh. And you know what I mean? listeners, yeah. there is no friends without living single. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> we should talk friends about that. Friends was a direct ripoff. Talk we about cultural talk about appropriation. That. It's a direct ripoff of living single. And I'm done. Yeah, let's just leave it. Let's just leave yeah. it there. If <laughs> you right. have not watched Living Single, you should probably check yes. it out black girl magic the homies chilling all that Gosh, yes Good stuff. yes um so i'm going to be talking about the 2000s which i mean that is that is when i grew up and actually um when i was growing up in kenya a lot of the music a lot of the music that i grew up listening to was highly influenced by american music primarily black american music so i'm pumped to talk about this so First of all, talking about art, um, in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, there was kind of a shift away from the moral argument about empowerment and civil rights. Um, And Black artists really, really felt this. And there was um, kind of like a widespread emphasis on visual talent and success. And so Black artists who are critiquing the system as unjust, like that was just not considered a cool thing to do, you know, versus, you know, like in the 50s and the 60s, you know, like it was a civil rights movement. And that was an acceptable thing to do, perhaps even an embraced thing to do. But in the early 2000s, hey, just go make your art, make it very palatable, really pare it down. Mm. Do not try to shake the system. And so that was on the art side of things, right? And, and the floss as much as you can. Exactly. Like ball out and floss as much as you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, on the side of music. So I never knew this, you guys. I learned a new thing. Um, R&B and hip hop became increasingly more profitable and popular dr- during the 2000s due to music videos, right? Mm-hmm. Did you think, you know, like MTV? I grew up watching MTV like every day, you know? So, so MTV. Here's, a, here's really, a fun fact. Did you really, Justine? Yeah, no, when you came up, they were playing music TV. No more. In the, <laughs> okay, but, but in the early 2000s. Were they? Yes. Were they? I, no. yeah. they, were, they were on the way out, but they were still playing music at that point. And, and you have VH1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Here's, here's a fun fact, right? So, you wouldn't have black artists on MTV mm-hmm. if it weren't for Michael Jackson. Ah. And, I think and, you've told me that before. Yeah. yeah and, and, and here's why. And maybe we've mentioned this before on the podcast, listeners, but. Here's why, because when M- so MTV, they were building themselves as a rock station, as a rock music video station. They, they wouldn't play black artists. And wow. Michael Jackson came on and blew up with the Thriller album. And then they wanted to play Michael Jackson. And he was like, wait, if I'm the only black artist y'all play, I'm not, I don't, mm-hmm. don't play me. So then, right, right. And, and basically, Basically, Epic Records. So he was going to boycott. Yeah. Mm. If y'all don't play black artists and play Michael Jackson, we're, we're, we're pulling all of our artists. Right. Everybody on this record label is not going to get played on MTV unless you play Michael Jackson. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So Mike, wow. Mike integrated MTV. <laughs> yes. You know, that's so, that's so cool because when I grew up, 
again, early 2000s. Remember, I'm in Kenya. Okay, I'm in Kenya. And I remember our TV would have maybe like at least like 10 different MTV stations uh-huh. and all of them would play music 24-7. Now, some channels would just play African music. Most of them would play, you know, like more American or European music. And that was for me, like my musical influence growing up. Hmm. That was it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, 2000s in the 2000s, um, music incorporated the sounds of digital instruments, trackboards, and mixers, and this allowed solo artists to have the full sound associated with a band or orchestra, right? So you have, um, you know, like the okay, let's just talk about R&B, rhythm and blues. Yep. Um, and I actually never knew this, but this is music that evolved during World War II. And it is typically recorded in independent record labels and was associated with demographic, economic, and social changes. I'm sure we all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the early 2000s, you have Erica Badu, Maxwell, one of my favorite people. Come on now. Alicia Keys, Destiny's Child. I love Maxwell. Do you guys? Yeah. Oh, Maxwell's the man. Oh, Maxwell, Come on, yeah. yeah. Come on, what? Yeah. He's, he's yeah. one of the few people that I would pay to go see mm. live. Maxwell's first record came out when? In about 1997. Oh, or 96 or so. He's dope. He's dope. Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's the new Marvin. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the style of R&B had neo-soul elements to it and got rid of blues and jazz elements. As time went on, you have new artists, you know, the Ashers, Rihanna's, Neo, Miguel. Mm-hmm. By the way, y'all, Miguel, if you have not listened to his music, yeah. he's dope. He grew on me. I didn't he's get dope. him at first, but he's he's dope. He's like that. Yes. And when he sings live, jeez. Anyway. <laughs> All right, y'all. Justina's good. Over yeah. Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Beyonce, of course. Um, just some very prime examples of solo artists who grew up in the R&B early 2000s. Okay. You know, let's talk about hip hop. Um, yes. Hip hop is a creative expression, <laughs> right? It's a creative expression. <laughs> Widely used by African-Americans, Afro-Caribbean, and Latino communities. Okay, this one was kind of, I don't know, you know, like I think of like Latino music, I never really think of hip-hop, so that was kind of like a good eye-opening thing for me. Yeah. Um, oh, we got to give you that primer. Yeah. Go ahead, Andres. You got it. You got it. Well, no, I, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about right now, because I, I, I'm really curious about uh, what you're talking about just now. I think, it's, I think it's really cool, but yeah. But the gist of it is, so salsa music, mm. um, came out in the 70s it really came out of new york it didn't yeah. come from puerto rico it didn't come from cuba right. they were transplants they were right. puerto ricans they were cubans right. and it created a melting pot up in new york and salsa came from there <sighs> but while the salsa kids were doing their thing black kids were doing their things too mm-hmm. and oh when was it 70 something when uh um hip-hop cool herc Cool Herc, you know. Yep, Cool Herc and Africa Bambata. Right. But the thing is, too, that breakdancers, mm-hmm. some of the most famous ones were Latinos or Hispanics. Right. Yes, yep. yes. Because, yeah, hip-hop as a, as a, as a genre mm-hmm. was created mm-hmm. by, by African-American, Afro-Caribbean, primarily like Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we're all in the hood in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. Right. right. We're all, yeah. So I'm was. telling you, lovely. Yeah. Talking so. about breakdancing, 
hip hop has many ranges of performance and expressions. There's breakdancing, there's DJing, vinyl records, MCing, which is also known as rapping. The socioeconomic status in many Black communities played a huge role in the early styles of rap and hip hop. Again, mm-hmm. so kind of just like part of, you know, like that mix of art and culture coming together. Elements and different styles of hip hop and rap included the hardcore rap, classic rap, pop rap, alternative rap, and gangster rap. So, you know, like you have the original South of hip hop. Um, this was divided into three regions, which, by the way, I never knew this. Right. Uh-oh. So I learned so much. Yep, What's I never that? knew this. You have the West Coast, the East Coast and the Dirty South. See, so, OK. So, and that and that stuff, like the nexus of all of that was started from the 90s. Mm. So, yeah, so that so really the 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 archi- like the archetype or like the DNA, let's say the DNA mm. of today's music really comes from the period of about maybe from right. 1987 on mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. 1987 is when you have, like you were saying, um, Justine about just kind of like the, the, the individual musician and right. And like the, like the solo artist. So, right. Because, because that, that's when you have guys like Teddy Riley popping off and, and, and super producers popping off where they're, you don't need a band anymore. You have those guys, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And yep. right. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have Usher if you didn't have right. Guy, mm-hmm. you know, mm. right? So like yes. you wouldn't have, because, because, uh, because Usher, Usher comes out basically with new school hip hop beats, like Dirty South hip hop beats that have gone pop mm-hmm. when, yes. when, when what was coming out of Harlem and coming out of New York in the, in the, in the nineties, early nineties was what was, was, was hip hop like New Jack Swing. You know, so mm-hmm. it was it was hip hop tracks with R and B vocal, which is what oh, Mary yeah. J. Blige was. Yes, like yes. her her first yes. two records are hip hop records with her yes. singing on them. Mm-hmm. Yes, basically, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so in the two thousands, rap became very mainstream. The musical industry. Uh, Andres, who's your favorite rapper? Do you listen to rap at all? <laughs> yeah, uh, you do. No, you know what? That's a good question. Okay, fair enough. I'm laughing because I, I guess I know the answer, but. <laughs> wait what you know the answer you know what i would say no no no, no. Oh, i know okay. the answer of do you, do you listen to rap oh <laughs> <laughs> you know oh that's a good i never thought about this i i got a i got a top five but i don't know if i have a top one a one <laughs> Abdul okay so top five. Oh, oh, you, my, my one okay yeah andres your top five no top wait five. no you go ahead let me think about yeah you go ahead Abdul. this is interesting Abdul, is it jay-z for you it's it depends. If, so it depends. okay, to Andres's point, top one is hard. Top, top one, one is hard. hard. So for mm-hmm. lots of reasons, I, I I can't say I have a top one, but my top yeah, five, I, yeah, my top five includes Jay Z. But you almost can't count Jay Z because everyone calls counts Jay Z. But right, but but Jay Z, he's like yeah, whatever. No, but um, all right. So actually, my 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 number one MC of all time of all time is rock him. You don't hear, you don't have modern hip hop, modern rap without rock him doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So there's rock him. There's Jay Z. There's black thoughts from the roots. Beast. Absolute crazy MC. Mm -hmm. Talib Kweli and most deaf. Those are my top five. Mm. Yeah. Black thought. Uh, Let's see. Uh, This is hard. Yeah. Uh, most deaf, uh, Rakim, 
so I got three. Uh, I'll put Biggie in there. Just, mm, just yeah, he's in just yeah. flow wise. He's, he's out of my time. Um, yeah. yeah, you got to put Biggie. I, I just you know, um, ooh, five. Uh, uh, See, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's very hard. <laughs> Right, so again, not to make the podcast any longer, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I listen to it. I, you know, it's in the, it's in the, like some days I listen to Eminem and I go like, Oh, oh man. Yeah. yeah. You know, just, Eminem is cold too. I yeah. mean, you know, he's good. Yeah. You know, so it, it just depends on the day. Eminem yeah. is good. Yeah. Eminem is, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. he's a beast, but, um, anyway. Yeah. What are yours? Hey. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you. What's, okay. So uh, definitely Biggie. So Pe- Pac is actually in my top four. So I don't listen to a lot of rap. Like it no. has to be really okay. good. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. don't. I don't. Um, nothing against rap. It's just not my yeah mm-hmm. my vibe. Yeah. Uh, Pac, what, Biggie, Jay Z. What is your genre? What is your genre? Country. We've talked about this. Yeah, she's oh, like I really. I mean, I, I know you oh, like, yeah. like, like two thousands R and B. That's her jam. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, oh, like if you are in my car, I have. The country station turned on. Like that is wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I got to add one more as an honorable <laughs> mention. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You got to add Buster Rock. Yeah. You got it. So, mm-hmm. okay. Now, mm-hmm. now for me, for my top five, and this is related to arts and culture, my top five are, are those top five for a reason. So, Buster mm-hmm. Rhymes. So, let's say so Buster Rhymes, Rakim, Black Thought. And Black Star, which is uh-huh. uh, a quality of the most deaf. Though those guys for sure, the reason why I like them is because they have my sensibility. Because those are all guys who grew up like as kind of like black nationalists, Muslim. Oh, okay, and so it. when you hear their hip hop, you hear that consciousness, and you hear like mm-hmm. you hear five percent references and Nation of Islam references and yeah. Muslim references and all that. And so that speaks to my spirit because that's like, that was us. Right. So that's, yeah. so that's why I like them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I find my fifth. Chuck D. Come on, let's go. But top five, really? Um, but yeah. Okay. Just, just cause his flow was just different too. Yeah. Like you can't just like Rakim was yeah. different, you know, his, his flow and his influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just different. So anyway, yeah. anyway, okay. Yes. Okay. So one other thing that I was just thinking about as you're talking, yes. Andres, it would be very interesting. I'm actually done with my section, but it would be very interesting to see the intersections of reggae and rap. And th- that like reggaeton? You no, know, no, no. Like the genre, because reggae, like sometimes it's like you know, like they're talking. Oh yeah. They're singing, you know, and mm-hmm. I just I don't know, like I just see a lot of intersection there. Yeah, I think and- you're right. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. I grew yeah. up around reggae too. Yes, you did. I might have told you guys that. You did? So I did. I yeah. did. Yep. A lot of my cousins would listen to reggae. Yeah. yeah. So reggae, okay, from what I understand, I mean just just from just from like the brief time I lived in Africa and I had and mm-hmm. I, I I've just I've lived around mm-hmm. so many Africans from all over all over different countries. And like they love some reggae. Like really? Yeah. Yeah. The beats? I mean like reggae, oh, yeah. like 
sometimes I'm like, I don't understand what has been said in this song, but I mean, like this song just makes me want to dance. It's yeah. right. of it. Is there such a thing to your, to your point, Justine, is there such a thing as a sad reggae song? Can you write a sad reggae song? Actually, there is, and I've and I've sent you guys one. Like, there's this guy. He, um, I'll send it again. Okay. Um, but he did a song on. My gosh, why am I blanking? The NPR, you know, like where NPR will do like this, like open mic, tiny desk, tiny desk concert, and that song is sad. But again, the beat is okay. Okay. It's fly. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't write a sad song with a you know nice upbeat. Mm. No, and here's here's what I think about when I when I think about that. Help by the Beatles. Mm. Read the lyrics to that. help. Mm. Like, let me see. Mm. Just okay. You gonna pull them up? Yeah, real <laughs> quick. Okay, so do you, Justin, do you, are you familiar with the song "Help"? I need somebody help. I've heard it. I've heard okay. it. But I'm yeah. So let's see. Uh, where are the lyrics? All right, help. I need somebody help. Not just anybody help. You know, I need someone help. Okay. Mm. I never needed anyone's help in any way, but now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured, but now these days are gone. Okay. And now I find, and now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down and I do appreciate you being around. Mm. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me. And you dance to that. <laughs> but don't true, we all? Though. I mean, we've all done it, you know. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, true. I mean, yeah. how many times you just you like the beat, and all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. wait a minute, what, what are you saying? Yeah. Okay, everyone. Now it's time for our liner notes segment. This is where each of us will share a song, an artist, a book, a movie, a conversation, or a piece of culture that has given us life, and we hope that you're blessed by it. So we'll start out with uh, Justine. What's giving you life lately? Okay, so the one I'm going to share, I'm curious if y'all have heard about this. You probably have. But um, Mary J. Blige, she has her 2021 documentary My called documentary. My Life. Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, my goodness. Yes, ma'am. Yes, and I'm going to be watching really? it again because it's awesome. It's on Amazon Prime, so. Yeah. You have that, I started watching it like about years ago, and I got maybe mm-hmm. about third of the way in or so. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty yeah. good. Right. And I watch her because um, she was on the, why am I blanking on this? Angela Yee, DJ Envy, Shall oh, the, the God. What? Why am the I blanking? Okay, yes. Yeah. Yep. So she was on the Breakfast Club and she was interviewed about the documentary. And man, she is just so real and so raw about it. And in mm. this documentary, y'all, she talks about all the struggles that she went through growing up in the music industry. Um, and I was, Okay, I was not necessarily intrigued by this, but it was very saddening to see how, although she was literally the queen, like she was doing all these amazing things, mm. she's won nine Grammys, which what? I mean, like, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> but despite being so phenomenal, she would like, she doubted herself the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm really not that awesome. I suck, you know? And it was just kind of like towards the end um she talks about kind of like growing into herself and really loving herself and accepting herself and doing the work of getting there and it's just absolutely phenomenal so yeah yeah guess you check it out that's that yeah Mm -hmm. that's a really dope line and what's what's funny is i was actually gonna say one of that in one of my 
whatever I want to know sometime soon too. So, because yes. Mm-hmm. And, and cause her, um, the, what's the four one one record and the, my life album, mm-hmm. I wore those CDs out. Mm-hmm. I wore them out. And yeah. What's the four one one has a special place in my heart. Cause that's what I was listening to when I was pledging. Mm. <laughs> yes, they, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I pledge y'all just leave you, it there. You pledged. I pledged. You pledged. I pledged. That's what I'm saying. No, no, no just leave it there. <laughs> you mean you're not gonna rep your colors? <gasps> oh no, if I bet a stigma. You know, I'm just saying that I pledged. I didn't say what you did when you played. I'm just saying what no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a trade secret apparently, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> a trade secret. Uh, all right, how about you? Okay, so for me, actually, I, I have like the perfect one. So when I think about Black arts and culture, um, one of the main figures I think about who is helping to move the culture forward nowadays. Oh, who do you think I'm going to say? Are you going to say Nicole Hannah Jones? Is that I'm who not. you're going to talk? Uh-huh. I was not. I was going to say the Astor Gates. Mm. So, so if you've never heard nice. the name, listeners, so Theaster is a visual artist. He's a social activist, um, and kind of through his art, he's a he's a he's a cultivator or and a and a and a, and a kind of a purveyor or kind of a um, yeah cultivator of black culture. And so he has a, a pretty big footprint in his native Chicago with like um, the Stony Island Arts Bank, Black Cinema House. It's a coffee shop in Washington Park. And so he's really through through visual art, like through um, pottery and sculpture and and photos and art to preserve black culture so um and when, when i think about arts and culture the reason why he gives so he, he he's an old college buddy of mine and um so back in the undergrad we called him tg so andres you mentioned the jubilee quartets right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the first group i started when i was at iowa state um was a vocal quintet that we used to do talent shows in college. And so in that quintet was Dr. Anthony Jones, who we've had on the show, was uh, myself, was my, my, my homie Gooch, and this guy named um, Dermario, and, and then we had TG. And so as a vocal group, we, had, we brought a bunch of different flavor. Gooch brought the bass voice. You know, you had, you had uh, TG, um, and Demario, they, they took us to church because those boys came from the church. Mm. And then you had, you had um, Anthony bringing that Southern vibe. Mm. And then I had the R&B and Neo Soul thing. And so, but we would do like, we did a rendition of In the Still, in the still of the Night. And TG had like his, his section would just kill it. And in in, in, he just take us to church. So, I mean, that was just like his whole raspy, his raspy gospel voice. So. Um, but now it seems every time I look up, he's somewhere. He's everywhere. He's like, dude, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> so, so like, like they're they've had you know so he, they've had like um doc, a couple of documentaries about my guy. They had uh he was on he did a main stage TED talk. Um, I've been watching the cyclone, like, cyclone, the cyclone, right. <laughs> I've been watching like TV shows and movies and I'll hear somebody mention his name as an art and the thing. So y'all know the net, the Netflix show, she's got to have it. It was based off a Spike Lee movie from back in the eighties, but uh, they, they revamped it a couple of years ago. 
And there's a whole, she's an artist. So there's a whole plot line where they're talking about her trying to get into the art thing. And they mentioned TG's name. And I think he's in one of the episodes. What? Yeah. I did not, I did not and, know that. Like, and so like I'm looking and, and, and I saw a picture he posted on Facebook, a picture of him at the Cannes Film Festival with Ava DuVernay and Spike Lee. What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Brothers everywhere. And then about a month ago, I was looking at some, some new, like I love documentaries, right? So, so I was looking to find some new documentary on Netflix and or on, on streaming somewhere. And there's this documentary called Home on Apple TV Originals or Plus or whatever. And so um, they look at these beautiful, extraordinary homes around the world in places like Sweden and Bali and wherever. And so episode two is Chicago. On the thumbnail <laughs> is TG. <laughs> so listeners, the show Home, if you have Apple TV or Apple TV Plus, um, and you know, it, it shows, because he's also like an urban planner. And so he's cultivated mm-hmm. all, these diff- all these different houses, right? So he's just started buying houses in the neighborhood and making them beautiful because he was like in, in the hood. Right. And he's like, yeah. I, I believe beauty is a basic service. And so he's yeah. cultivating yeah. just art and beauty in his neighborhood and people are coming to see it. And so he didn't like take it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, he studied in Japan and a bunch of stuff, but he, but he's taking what he's learned and bringing it back to his neighborhood. And so when I think about that as an artist, um, TG is somebody who sees, you know, black joy and beauty. He's very pro-black, but he's also very eclectic and he's not anti-white. Mm. Right. And so that gives me life. So, you know, a lot of us, you know, I'm just proud of him and proud of his shine. And so, the, yeah, that's, I think that, that's what gives me life for this episode. That's pretty okay. cool. Yes. So just, just a quick tangent here. I just looked up his art on Google Images and wow. He's a savage. No, he's a beast. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. 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 No, no. Theatrical Gates is the man. All right. So my lighter note is on, uh, have you guys heard of the song um, Jerusalem? No. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. So that's, that's the next time we hang out, we have to dance to that. Oh, that's a great song. So in doing research for some other episodes and whatnot, I came, you know, I came across a, 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 a post um, and I want to read from it. Um, actually, the name of the post is called The Gospel of Black Joy. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So uh, part of that article that I put, I'll put the article in the show notes uh, is, uh, so during the pandemic, uh, a song by Master KG. Hey, KG, that's the, anyway, that's the. <laughs> I don't get that, but okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> that's the chapter of my fraternity here at Iowa State. Oh, Kappa Gamma, right on. I got Kappa it. Gamma. I'm, I'm there now. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> Abdul, do not make Andres laugh because he's going to be laughing for the next 10 days. I know, we- right? Okay. <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> All right. So um, during the pandemic, there, there's a song, Jerusalem, uh, by Master KG out of South Africa, and it went viral. Um, it's, it's actually sung in Zulu, and it remembers and builds the symbols of uh, the holy home, the promised land that leaves none forsaken. The words speak of healing, 
but it is the joyful dance and the sharing that makes it tangible. It became an international quote unquote challenge or challenge that produced videos from Angola to Romania and all around the world. There were people dancing with lunch plates, uh, uh, in hand to frontline health workers, dancing down hospital corridors. Uh, and it's precisely in these places where it is least, in these places where it is least expected that it becomes most palpable and perhaps irresistible. So the article then shares uh, the author's favorite one, which is from the Masaka Kids Africana, and it's a dance troupe made up of children who have often lost one or both parents through devastation of war, famine, uh, and or disease. Mm. Uh, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll put the article and I'll put the, the video, but I want you guys here just to get a sense of it, of, of what this is, because it is, it is such a cute video. So let me uh, show this again so you guys get a sense of it. And what country are the kids from? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. Oh them boys gosh. is getting it yeah okay andres <laughs> when you were reading that i literally got goosebumps and that video gave me legit black joy right yeah so yeah that was i mean yeah. that's like the whole yeah. definition of black just, joy just yeah little black boys dancing mm -hmm. loving it loving life that was and being free being, yes being free that was amazing oh. so that's my liner note wow oh. that is yeah it's a good one. Okay, y'all. So at the start of this episode, I stated that Black art and culture has been subjected to perpetual appropriation, mishandling, erasure, denigration, and loss of other very negative things. You might have heard the outcry by Black and Indigenous people that says, you want our art, but not our people. Very poignant and very true. So I want us to talk about something that a lot of you have probably heard about, which is cultural appropriation. And I just want to kind of just like break it down and maybe give some tangible examples. And if you are part of the majority culture, how can you avoid, right? Because sometimes it's not intentional, right? So how can you avoid appropriating Black art, Black culture? Okay. And by the way, you guys, quick side note, I've been hearing about this. I'm not on TikTok but I watch the news and I have been hearing that a lot of um, black TikTok creators, especially dancers are boycotting TikTok because typically what, what, what happens is they will create a very good, you know, like in creative dance and white people will copy the dance and get invited to all these shows right. to perform the dance. Uh, oh yeah. There's that articles. Black there are articles on that. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. That a black on. creator made. And this has been going on for however long TikTok has been in existence, right? I so again, perfect example of cultural appropriation that actually has economic impacts on black right. creatives. So Abdul, how would you define appropriation and what are some ways that it rears its ugly head in today's society? Uh, let's see. So I would define it as using our culture without recognizing it like giving it its props mm -hmm. but yeah losing our or using our culture without recognizing it while claiming it as original and benefiting mm -hmm. from it exactly what you just said with the tiktok thing 
mm-hmm. like they're p- people are benefiting from it. So um, uh, an extreme to me, an extreme illustration of how, well, it's to me, it's an extreme illustration of how people want us without yeah. wanting us. Right. right. You know, mm. so when we, th- so when I think about going back to our black women episode, one of the things that Andrea Lowe said was they want to be us, but they don't want to mm. be us. Right, right. So um, that's, yeah. So to me, some of the biggest like examples of cultural appropriators would be like the Beach Boys. Mm. Mm. Totally ripped off Chuck Berry Mm -hmm. and were known for whether they took them or, or just got them from the record label, were known for singing songs that black artists were singing on on the on the black charts they were only on the black charts and they went mainstream mm. with them on the like with with a whole different arrangement and then singing somebody else's song um i think a lot of people ripped off like otis blackwell who was like a, you know an, an old school so otis blackwell's compositions included some elvis presley hits mm. like don't be cruel all shook up, returned to sender. Um, little Willie John was an old artist. His song, that song "Fever," got you know got popularized. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis's "Great Balls of Fire." So the, those are examples to me of of those things were stolen. People benefited from them and did and didn't give folks credit. And so then another example. So to me, like I said, one of the biggest appropriators was the beach boys to me the single biggest cultural appropriator is elvis presley (laughs) and i know there are people who listen to this who who love elvis presley elvis presley was a second-rate wannabe blues musician and gospel singer Mm. and he stole everything he did that got him big with stuff he stole he ripped off hound dog from big mama thornton in 1952 so she recorded in 52. He recorded in 1956. So the only thing he's the king of is the king of stealing. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, and like Chuck D very eloquently said, Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant blank S-H-I-T to me because the mm-hmm. sucker was racist. The sucker was simple and plain. So F him and John Wayne. Mm. Mm. Andres. Anything else? <laughs> you just gonna leave it right there. You just gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna take my mic and drop it. <laughs> so here, I'm, I'm torn a little bit. Yeah. Because they're artists, and you put out your art, um, and then someone who happens to be white identifies with that art and is given the gift of let's say singing or writing whatnot right yeah but there's a there's identification and they're stealing right Mm -hmm. and not giving credit yeah Yeah. that's that's a big part too of appropriation right but but then but how long does the giving credit go for you know like the one that drives me crazy the most is with bruno mars Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. And it came, and it came from the black community that he's yes, appropriating yes. from the black community. And he's not. 
because because he's mm-hmm. half Puerto Rican, and I forget what his mom is right now. I I should know, but yeah. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. um, but and I, and I'm using that as as like the framework from what I'm about to say is that if Bruno was listening to late '80s, early '90s R and B, right, yeah. and it spoke to his soul, that's his vibe, and he's an artist, and you know he. Like what else is he gonna say? Back, right? Back. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, Eminem, mm-hmm. right? Grew yeah. up on, grew up on hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now, yeah, I, with Eminem, yeah, you get the distinction because he always, you know, he's he always uh, is respectful of the culture. Yeah, um, yeah. Grew, but he's I mean, a he, product he, of the culture. He, he grew up on the culture, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, so so that's a, a slight ex- example, but but but. The, the idea still applies. Like he grew up listening to hip hop mm-hmm. um, and it spoke to him. He was gifted that he could mm-hmm. then do hip hop himself. Right. Right. You know? So what's the line of, of I'm appropriating mm-hmm. versus I was influenced by it. And this is mm-hmm. what, because everybody was influenced by somebody else. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and there's a saying, I don't know who said it, but creativity is how well you hide your influences. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, I mean, is everybody going to give DJ Cool her royalties because he invented <laughs> hip hop? Mm. You know? Right. Um, but no, but, but they do give him props. They give him lots right. of props. Exactly. And they do I'm, give him I'm the sure. fact that, that, that he started, he started something that became this snowball that everybody, mm-hmm. not everybody, but people participated in it and, and it right. became this cultural force and they were part of that cultural force. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So then an, a, another point to this appropriation uh, conversation is you got to also blame the audience, not just the, the artist, right? Ooh. You know, because especially maybe not, let's say in the early days of rock and roll, maybe the, not so much a choice, but there's no excuse for it now in, in the 2000s. Right. Right? Okay. So here's, here's I recently watched uh, a series on Netflix. It's called This Is Pop. Mm-hmm. And the first episode was on Boys to Men. Right? I saw that episode. Okay. Yeah. So something that one of the people that were interviewing just, just struck me. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, it, it rings true. That as popular as boys to men were, and they were, mm-hmm. when the boy band started popping up, the InSync, Backstreet Boys, yep. mm-hmm. the audience switched. They did, and they went from boys to men to InSync, Backstreet Boys, mm-hmm. ninety-eight degrees right. to a certain extent. And right. here's the comment that was like, "Whoa!" Someone said, "I doubt that a lot of these girls had." boys to men posters in their wall mm. as opposed to Bastard Boys mm-hmm. in sync mm-hmm. 98 degrees. Well, and here's the thing. So the one thing I didn't like about that documentary, because I, I agree with you, I, I thought that that was a pretty powerful statement, is the whole boy band thing started with New Edition. Menudo. Menudo. No, 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 no. Menudo. Stop. Menudo. Stop it. Stop menudo. it. Menudo stop it. Stop it. Stop is it. Menudo. Just the stop Mexican it. new edition. That's stop it. And it's <laughs> it's a Puerto Rican. Okay, okay, my bad. Puerto Rican. So, okay, okay, so the American 
but although they did have some <laughs> some 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 American chart toppers. So well, but, they did, yeah. But let's say for okay, so Manudo slash New Edition. <laughs> All right. Because Manula came up, uh, did a song that sounded like Jealous Girl from, from New Edition. Well, when they wanted to break into the States, I mean, yeah, yeah they were so trying to anyway, you know, try and sound American. My point, though, my point there being is that, is that the whole boy band craze started with New Edition, but they never had the pop shine. They were always like, like, like they, they got the R&B game unlocked. And mm-hmm. then the same guy who put them on, Maurice Starr, put on New Kids on the Block. Mm. And New Kids on the Block is just a cheap knockoff of New Edition. Mm-hmm. And anybody who knows music history should know that. So yeah. then it bounces back to New Edition and then Boys to Men comes in and then they do the thing all over again with 98 Degrees and Instinct and Battery Boys and those guys. Yeah, wasn't there like a, they showed on the, on the episode like a casting call, like, yeah, like a, a calling out they were looking for to start a group. Yeah. Like it was in white. Florida, Ron Perlman. Sorry, yeah, Lou Perlman. That sounded black. Yeah. That was the, that was the casting call. Yes. <laughs> you look white, you sound mm, black sound, with, yeah. with, with, with R&B and hip-hop melodies and hip-hop vocal, mm-hmm. vocal arrangement. Mm-hmm. And even the dancing, too. And yes. You know. Absolutely. So that's what the part where I'm torn, because you look at someone like Justin Timberlake, who is, who is naturally talented. Okay, but, so that's the question I was going to ask y'all. What do you think about JT? I, I, I to be totally honest, I'm gonna, I, I struggle with JT. Mm. I do, I do. I mean, because he just he. I mean, oh, this is almost unfair, but I, I just I, he's like a new Elvis, except that Justin is actually talented. Oh. There's no, there's yeah. there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. He's clever, great lyricist. He, you know, knows music inside out. Um, yeah, but there's nothing original to him. The, right. So, so to okay. So to me, like I love Usher. Yeah, JT and Usher are kind of in the same lane. Mm-hmm. They even have some of the same producers. Mm-hmm. However, Usher way better vocalist. Usher can blow. Oh yeah, JT. Don't catch, don't sleep on him though. But JT is also just JT's a better artist. That's what I was going to your say. point, Andres. He's a yeah. mm-hmm. he's a better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's he's for 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 his voice. He he does very well for his voice. Mm-hmm. He's a really good arranger. He's a very good lyricist, and mm-hmm. he's an incredible performer. Yeah, exactly. I, think him, I was going to say. Like, so, so so to me, JT, Bruno Mars, and Usher. Those Oof. three as performers. Oh, lights like, out. Definitely. JT. Nobody lights beats out. him. Nobody beats lights him. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. And he so. also produces, which, which mm-hmm. by the way, like when you're a musician and you produce and like it, that, yes. you know, like that gives you an extra. Yes. Just, just like an extra thing. Yes. And that's, that's why I think he's more talented than Usher because, because he plays at least three instruments. Huh. Yeah. So he plays, yeah. he plays, he plays piano mm-hmm. and he plays guitar. And I think he plays uh, drums. Oh, I think I've seen some drum credits on, on yeah. his records. You know, and you know, obviously he can dance and he can do. I mean, he can do it all. Mm. He literally can do it all in the yeah. arts. You know, mm. but I and don't he acts. He, yeah, yeah, mm. but he's not that overly original. You're right. He's not. He's, he's not, not Prince. Not. Yeah. Now, yeah. Th- th- there's no Prince. Whole different conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
so I, I will say though, that I, I don't think, so I don't really struggle with him because I don't feel like he's appropriating. I feel like he's kind of, honestly, I feel like when he was in NSYNC or back, whichever one he was in, cause I never remember which one, but NSYNC. when he was doing that, I think he was appropriating. I think he started to come into his own for the end of those, those days. And then when he hooked up with, so like, um, when he hooked up with, uh, like, and, and that song gone, mm-hmm. Mm. That song Gone came out. That to me signaled a shift for him. Because mm-hmm. that song was more naturally him. Mm. And then everything after that, him working with Timbaland and whatever, where where he put that that Memphis kind of uh like bluesy stuff to the thing, mm-hmm. that's naturally him. So I don't think that's appropriation. No, like yeah. when he does stuff like when he does drink you away, uh-huh. I think that's him. Yeah. That's 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 his southern side. That song is sad. Blending in. You know, blending into the R and B, and and that's if if he keeps go doing that, you know, that song he did with uh, uh Chris Stapleson. Yeah, say something. Say something. Also, that's yeah. different from him. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Agreed. What do you think, Justine? What do you think about about JT or just about appropriation just in general? Yeah. Um, I. <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like the JT that I grew up with is pretty different. So I do not think that the JT I know appropriates. And yes, he's a great performer. He's a producer. He's a great musician. His vocals are, they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. You know, but other than that, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm with you. I don't think he appropriates. Yeah. Yeah. No, when he was in the boy band, he might have been doing that. All day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would, it's just similar, similar to Abdul, I would um, define appropriation as taking something that does not belong to you, um, especially when you are the member of a dominant culture, right? And you're taking something from a group of people that has historically been marginalized or exploited, or sometimes, and we might have talked about this um, on the I Am Not My Hair episode with our guest speakers sometimes actually benefiting from something that the other group has historically been been marginalized for you know um just a very practical example white girls with braided hair oh my goodness yeah stop have several seats (laughs) you know what i mean rachel doll is all stop you know appropriation um, olympics right there that's appropriate yeah right no that's just fronting that's just yeah. That's, right. just, I mean, that's just front exactly you know um another common example okay and for this one though i'm kind of on the fence how do y'all feel about clothing so if you saw mm. a white person wearing a dashiki nope no mm. let me stop you right there yeah <laughs> no dashiki nah nah yeah and yeah. i hate i really really hate to see white people that have locks Mm, yeah yeah just, and there's quite a few of them yeah and they look matted and nasty and go wash your hair and cut it <laughs> you look like trash okay yes yeah um all right that's all i have to say about I that am- <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you guys, listen. I just, I have to go back to, to the whole clothing situation. If, if, if you have no a girl, <laughs> no, 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 
just hear me out. Just hear me out. If you have a young black queen melanated and she is from Ethiopia mm-hmm. and she is getting married to a young white dude from, I don't know, London or Texas, whatever the case is. And they want to do an Ethiopian wedding. Right. Um, uh-huh. You know, like, I mean, you know, like uh, how see, does why that... you're bringing in tough stuff? I know where you're going. No. Right. You know, but like, these are like real. And then That's at the one. wedding, at the wedding, what are his parents wearing? You know, like, are they wearing their, you know, quote unquote, American clothes? You know, like, can they not wear Ethiopian clothing? And so I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like for me, like, that's where appropriation gets so marky. Another example, right? When I was, right, when I was in Kenya, um, I was like, you know what? Like, I could buy, like, some of these cute clothes for my white female friends. And I was like, I mean, can I do that? You know, like, are they allowed to wear this? You know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Right? Where they can only wear them when they're with you. Yeah. Exactly. You <laughs> no, know? Think, and I so think, it's just, yeah. yeah I, think you can get, I, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. I think in, in the scenario you brought on, a marriage, right? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the caveat would be like mm. that wedding day shouldn't be the first day mm. they decided to wear that. Okay. Because then it's a be costume. Upper, yeah. Because then it's a, you know, there should be. Mm. If 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 he wasn't if he wasn't wearing that fashion, I hope it would be like he discovered it. And there was something about it that spoke to him, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like this, this. I identify with this somehow, right, uh, right? But it's not like you need to rock the whole thing from head to toe. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, as if you're from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Hmm. So Justine, I get like the murky is is the perfect word because mm-hmm. my my one and only true regret for marrying a white woman the the only regret that I have for marrying my wife is that yeah. I couldn't jump the broom. Right, I know you've mentioned that. Yeah, you know it's 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 the only one. Like I I wanted like. That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it would it, it wouldn't be right. It was ah, somehow to have her. Okay. Yeah. It was somehow wrong to have her do that. Mm. Okay. So now I'm curious though. Um if and you do have black sons, Abdul. Is it no 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 sorry. And you do have a black daughter who's not married to a white dude, but like I'm curious, like well, I have a biracial daughter who's married to a biracial guy. Exactly, exactly. So but my but kids I'm might, saying, might look white. Yes, 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 yes. But, but, um, grandkids, sorry. Yeah. But if the coin is flipped, if it's a black woman marrying a white guy, can she jump the broom? Uh, Again, okay. And by the way, like, fun fact jumping the broom is not a thing in Africa. Yeah. I, that, that, no, actually, yeah. No. That is, that yeah. is not a thing anywhere in <laughs> no. Africa. And so even for me, I'm like, hmm. It's, it's it's a slave tradition, so it it comes from the fact that our marriages during slavery time were not recognized, and so the way that we recognize our marriages to each other within the within the the, the black or African American enslaved community was we jumped the broom into into the land right. of matrimony, and so ah. but before you jump the broom, part of part of the ceremony was you sweep away the negativity. Oh, wow! And so 
Got what it, did we do? It. We used things that we had, mm-hmm, like brooms, mm-hmm. to signify and give and yeah. give something special meaning. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just educate me that. Like, is it is it different if it's the woman jumping the broom? This may sound hypocritical, but I think mm-hmm. yes, it is. And so the reason why, right, right, is only is only because of the space between my ears. So. Okay. Because, because I think that for me, part of why I couldn't or didn't feel like I could jump the broom with my wife was because I feel like that was, I love who I love, but jumping the broom felt like mm-hmm. I was like spitting in black women's faces. Oh, and okay. so I didn't want to, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I love my wife. Yeah. I don't hate my sisters. And so I, yeah, and so yeah. I will never diss them. Okay. Got you it. Know? And okay. so that, that felt like for me, that felt like that would be disrespectful to the sisters. Now, mm. so conversely, if she wants to do it and she marries a white guy or somebody who's not black, mm-hmm. I feel like then, that's her choice. Okay. Got it. And okay. that, may, that, that might be horrible logic, but that's, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. Okay. Um, you know, okay, just just a quick side note, and I've had some of these conversations with my friends from majority culture. Uh, if you're thinking of doing something and you're like, hey, would this be appropriation? Hopefully you have a black friend who you can ask those questions, who, who you know, like you're close enough with, who you can just be like, hey, like, would I, you know, like if I wear this um, African clothing skirt to whatever wedding, you know, like, would that be crossing the line? Hopefully you have close enough people who you can ask those questions or you are in Nigeria, you're out of market. You're like, should I buy this for my kids? Should I not? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's, here's, before we wrap it up, here's, I guess, a question that might be rhetorical or, or you guys can answer it if you want to. But um, when you dig a little bit deeper and you think about, appreciating and loving and respecting culture, but also understanding that part of what we want to be able to do mm-hmm. is also to be inclusive and mm-hmm. not just to hoard cultural expressions or say that this expression is only for this thing in this group. So like, mm-hmm. okay, so um, I'll give you, I guess, an example and then come back to my point. So when I think about the music of the nineties and the two thousand, the early two thousands, it was much more segmented and much more segregated than it is today. Mm. So when you Mm. listen to like the, the, the music artists of today, Mm. so take like an LMA or whatever, right? Like you take some of these different, like the the different, these different artists, (laughs) she dancing. Um, You honestly, you can't pin them to a genre. Like you can hear elements of genres and you can mm-hmm. hear the DNA of a thing, but yep. you can't say LMA is an R&B artist. I agree. Or so-and-so is a pop artist. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so they have, one of the things I think that, you know, that your folks, just the millennials, mm-hmm. that I think millennials have done well is they have kind of busted some of those silos yes. and they've kept the 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 sense of let's say cultural authenticity but also mm-hmm. shared it 
and not ridiculed somebody for using it and borrowing it or 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 um not quite appropriating it but basically if if you feel it you feel it cuz i think you know i think about mm-hmm. like the 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 last two examples i would think about is like the 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 muscle shoals music so like the music from like the Otis Reddings of the 50s or the 60s and 70s or 50s through 70s where you had that music that came out of the south that that R&B that came out of the south those records half the players are white guys Mm-hmm. that are playing blues motown yeah. right motown you got the funk brothers you know so or you got you know rod temperton the greatest album of all time is thriller michael jackson mm-hmm. half of that album is written by a white dude mm-hmm. half of the musicians are white dudes half of the musicians in stevie wonder's bands no matter what iteration are white people mm. are they appropriating no Mm-mm. no right so in that tradition the artists of today have carried that torch. Yes, so when absolutely. I think about culture now outside of music, where it's just dress or dance or whatever, to the equivalent of that, maybe the conversation should be, how are we allowing people to express who they are without calling them an appropriator or calling them or whatever, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Which also contradicts yeah. my, my, my thing about why I don't like Rachel Dolezal, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's completely different. Okay, fair oh, enough. Yeah. Hers, no, hers that, that's that's just yeah. out of this world. Yeah, but did y'all yeah. get my question though, or my point? No, yes, I, I yes. do, I, and I and I totally agree with 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 uh, Justine's generation. You know what they're doing, at least music wise. Yeah, I totally get that. A lot of stuff is starting to blend in, mm-hmm. and. I mean, look at look at uh, uh, Nas X, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What he's doing, right? You know, I may yeah. disagree with some of the stuff, but what he's, if, and you know what? Here's the thing, though. I am noticing it on a lot of R and B and hip hop artists. Exactly. That's yeah. the way you're talking about Abdul. Yeah. yeah. That's where I see this, like, you know, like this generation of black kids. Um. Yeah, it's like it's like we get that we're black, of course, mm-hmm. but it's not going to totally define who I am. Exactly. Right. Like I'm not going to allow that to like, yeah, put me in a little pocket. Yeah. Which yes, which artists in the '90s and early 2000s just you know right. they, they didn't just do could it. Not, couldn't, couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. Just could not do it. And the ones who tried to pull it off got 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 ridiculed. So I'll give Sell an out. example. PM Dawn. Yep. I'm a Classic. I'm a I'm a huge PM Dawn fan. When the mm-hmm. first album came out or the first single, they called it hip hop. But Prince B is an amazing, or was, he's passed away now, right. was an amazing lyricist. And really, their stuff is probably better put in the category of indie or college rock or, ang- or, or, or like college or like angsty kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And you listen they to it. I mean, they pop pretty big, but they would have really popped now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. yeah, they they'd be huge now. They'd be huge now because their music really does defy genre. Mm. Another classic example of that was what happened with Whitney Houston. Mm. Yeah, when she came out and she was making all these big, ballad, big songs, you yeah. know, people in the black community were starting to say, like, "Oh, I think you're going a little white there." Uh huh. Little Celine Dion or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. So she yeah. had to claim her rep back and i still say that part of her hooking up with bobby brown was to get her rep 
Meanwhile, the reverse happened to Mariah Carey. Mm. Mariah Carey came. Her first record was a pop record that broke on the R&B chart. Yes. And the streets embraced her. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So two perspectives, actually three perspectives on that. One, I think that a lot of, not necessarily, because I'm kind of like the tail end of the millennial generation. So I think a lot of Gen Z. Mm. A lot mm. of people in that generation have not grown up in silos, you know, yeah. and, yep. and Agreed. when you are an artist of any type, what, what you grew up around and even like the sounds that you grew up hearing, um, the films that you grew up watching right. will impact your art and your artistic ex um, expression majorly right so i think for them one like they have that huge advantage or like they never really grew up you know in like all these silos that some of us might have grown up in um secondly i for me personally as a as someone who grew up in a pretty different culture um i think one of the beauties one of the beauties of culture is being able to share it mm -hmm. you know and Great. so i think sometimes like that's kind of why i struggle with you know, like the whole appropriation thing because i'm like i want to invite other people into kenyan culture Love my right. food. Can I teach you how to make it? Yes, I want right. to teach you. Go make right. it yourself, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And the third thing, I forget what I was going to say. But I, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, and, and that's really good. So this, this conversation is actually really good for me and helpful for me mm -hmm. because, because, you know, the part of my spirit that is an artist is really blessed mm -hmm. by this conversation because it also reminds me that art, whether yeah. art is expressed in music or movies or photography or culture or fashion and dress, mm -hmm. the nature of art is that it dies when it's restricted. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Right? So, mm -hmm. and the nature of the artist is they die mm -hmm. when you restrict them. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, the the thread that I'm that I'm finding here as I think about this, the thread that I'm finding that's consistent with all of our um, other episodes, you know, like we would we would say that, you know, we say frequently that uh, black folks are just looking for spaces to exist outside of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. When I think about our art, artists are looking for spaces to exist outside of. Uh, maybe it's white supremacy, but let's just call it oppression, not in a racial or political sense, but oppression mm -hmm. in a, you should be this, or you should be that sense, right. you know, oh the, the, the oppression that just doesn't let one express. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And you just reminded me of the third thing that I was going to say, um, <laughs> boom, thank you. So, and I see this a lot when it comes to music, right? Um, when I moved to America, I noticed that a lot of black female vocalists, okay, I'm going to be more specific, black female gospel vocalists have a very specific sound, mm -hmm. right? It's, I mean, it's beautiful, it's big, it's powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's just an expectation that when you are a black woman, that is the kind of voice that you will naturally yes. have. And if you and if you don't do that, you can't sing. Well, that or um, oh yeah, or if you or if you don't do that, oh you sound white. Mm 
Yeah. You know, you know, it's like, oh, like you can do, you know, like all these, you know, like riffs and runs or you're Mm -hmm. more of, you know, like a really high soprano. Again, it's because we're used to we're used to a lot of black female vocalists, you know, maybe having like deeper voices, an alto, a tenor, which which again, as you said, Abdul, I think that's a form of oppression. Because it's yes. like, who said that all black girls have to sound that way, you know? And right, so, right. And so, our our geniuses, mm. the people that we call geniuses, are folks who who either break those molds or right. just don't go into them. Mm. Like that's your box. I'm not going to wander mm. into your box. No, yeah. yeah, you know. So, yeah. like, go Prince. That's exact my exact example. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Prince. You look at Prince and you see Sly Stone, you see Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. you see Carlos mm-hmm. Santana, yeah. you see Aretha Franklin, you see, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Like you see like all of this, um, just like you see Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. for crying out loud, you know, mm-hmm. the doors, mm-hmm. you see James Brown. Oh yeah. Duh. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see yeah. all of that and he made it what he felt it was. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, right. and the thing I love about, about the geniuses, and this, I think is a personal development lesson for you listeners. The thing that I love about, uh, about the geniuses is, is the geniuses really carefully cultivated the environment around them. If it didn't mm-hmm. support their vision of what was happening, you don't be around them. Right. Please. Like you can't, you can't come yeah. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. if you're coming in on, on, on some buck, I'm, you, you can't come in. Right. You know, so our geniuses do that. The Lennons of the world, the Michael Jacksons of the world, the princes of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So oh their, their yeah. whole orbit is an expression of their art. Yeah. 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 Uh, one more thing. And, and talking about um, this generation that is just not going to be limited. Um, period. Just period which is great. And it's a space that I've, I've talked about before is black artists in country music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really paying attention to that space. Cause that's like, a, I don't know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's like the last frontier. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's coming full circle. <laughs> right. 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 That, that's, that's a great uh, observation. I yes. mean, you know what I mean? It's coming back home. It's, it's coming back home. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. like, People started basically what's now country, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, you know, just just I'm 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 interested how those artists manipulate, not manipulate, just navigate, navigate. in that space, yeah, and make mm-hmm. their music. Yeah. And I've heard some of the songs that you know they're talking about their black experience mm-hmm. in country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good, you know. Yes, Nikki so, Guyton, black like me. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, yeah. so it's people like that that I'm 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 paying attention to, and and see where that where that goes. I I mean, it it it's gonna keep going. And what I'm also seeing though is just a lot of white artists are are I hate to use this phrase starting to embrace, but mm-hmm. they're starting to embrace, mm-hmm. you know, and bringing along some of these artists and giving them a spotlight. So yeah. that's also fun to watch as well. Yeah. So here's here's my final thought on on on, on this conversation. Um, my final thought is perhaps the, the beautiful world or 
the beloved community that we want to see will primarily be brought about through our art, our culture, and our music. Because it seems to be the main thing that has always mm. driven that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, and that about, unites us. Yeah. Yes. When I think about whatever glimpse of utopia we've been able to create in our society, it's pretty much always been through music. Mm. I can go into anywhere that's an 80s pop bar, regardless of my skin color. And if I talk about my love for Tears for Fears, I have an instant friend. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And that is, that's it, listeners. We're going to have a pretty long list of links. So please check them out. Lots of fun yeah. stuff. Well, that does it for us for now. As always, if you like the show and the content, If you're encouraged or challenged by it, please like, subscribe, share, or drop us a review. And don't be afraid to do all the above. That'll help folks find us and hopefully join the community because we can always use more soldiers. Also, if you have questions about anything we cover on the show, if you have topics you want us to discuss or you just want to reach out, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier or email us at hello at Christian soldier.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. And I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all, keep the faith. Peace. Paz. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.